Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports, with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above, as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowsko. Uh, well guys, uh, you miss one week and a whole lot of stuff happens, so we got a little bit to catch up on. Um, don't really need to rehash too much of the uh, basketball uh, Big Ten tournament men's and women's, but you know th- there is something to talk about on that front. Uh, we've got the Combine uh, this past weekend. Uh, Justin Jackson and Godwin Iguobike uh, showed out a little bit. We'll talk about that and uh, a few other things on the platter, but um, definitely good to get back in the saddle. Yeah, we're, we've reached that transition period that we always find ourselves at this time of year. I think we all got a little bit spoiled last year because basketball went on a couple extra weeks. But now I think kind of on the flip side, we we had a kind of an exciting combine to talk about that carried us through this stretch a little bit too as we kind of begin that, that stretch where we're just trying to get to our, our team previews at the start of the summer. Um, unless we forget, you know, next week, uh, being the beginning of the NCAA tournament, we will have our annual, uh, bracketology podcast with Scott Sepich. Um, we'll have that up, uh, probably pretty close to the start of the tournament. Uh, and let us not forget the Westlaw Pirates tournament challenge. We'll have that up. Uh, we'll put information on, up that on Facebook, on Twitter and on uh, westlawpirates.com. So keep your eyes peeled for, uh, the ESPN Westlaw Pirates Bracket Challenge. Always a good time, um, and and we'll get rolling with that. And g- good news, uh, Skuzz Model don't do basketball, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give, give a little chance for the rest of us. Uh, so let's start with basketball, um, just as, as kind of wrapping up the seasons. Uh, you know, men, Novick Law, Bryant McIntosh clearly hurting. Uh, goes, you know, cats go to New York City and, you know, take one on the chin from uh, Penn State. Um, it's a rough, rough end of the season. I mean, we were all pretty excited um, coming off that Michigan win back in the beginning of February, and we didn't win a game the rest of the way. And there were some hot takes online as a result. Um some people referring to it as like the lowest moment in program history and oh some others. What? Uh, just, just bananas. Um, I, uh, I did, I, I, I convinced someone who was very clearly like reacting in the moment and, and juxtaposing. I mean, if you juxtapose it against expectations at the beginning of the year and the number 20 ranking in the country, et cetera, like maybe you can, you can say it's, it's the most disappointing finish relative to, uh, expectations, but to call it the lowest point in the in the in the history of the program is um, a, a definitely a bit of an overreaction. And I think we you know we've we've documented you know why we're excited about this team going forward, the the strength of the players coming in. Um, there are you know all sorts of things that go along with coming off of the the, the program's first NCAA tournament tournament berth in history that. Uh, you know, certainly made this year more difficult, the Allstate Arena, et cetera. I'm happy to just, like, hit the hit the flush button and move forward. Um, you know, obviously we gave some accolades to the seniors last week. Brian McIntosh and, uh, was it Pardon? Both got honorable mention for all yeah. Big Ten. Um, 
that Macintosh uh, nod is is uh, a bit of a reputation slash career nod, which that that's fine, you know. Um, I'm not going to argue with that. But let's move on. Let's let's look forward to shiny brand new Welsh Ryan Arena and uh, go from there. Yeah, it's funny. I think my one kind of takeaway from the game, the Penn State game, was um, I think again playing with a hobbled Macintosh and no Vic Law. I think Chris Collins tried an interesting strategy, which was uh, to to just go Twin Towers for most of the game. I loved that. Yeah, with Benson Benson and Pardon out there. And it's interesting because, um, I mean, you got to give it to him. He was trying something, and it had obvious strengths and obvious weaknesses. Um, The strength um, was, you know, from... You could see the potential of it. I think you could also see that that Pardon and Benson did not have the comfort sharing the paint and sharing the floor that they would have if they had gotten really heavy minutes together all season. Um, But you definitely see it because Pardon has and will always be a guy who plays way bigger. I mean, I think his list is 6'8", but he is a long 6'8", and looks more like 6'10 plus out there. And Benson is, you know, he he's what like six ten, six eleven. So um, these, you know, it really is two big guys out there. And there were times when it was really working, and when Macintosh was able to kind of orchestrate it, where it was effective. The flip side of it was there was a lot of <laughs> there was a lot of time on the floor as a result, where with Macintosh banged up and two bigs out there. There was just no one to guard Tony Carr um, at any given time, and he just absolutely went off. I mean, he was just uncontested threes. Um, just He just had an easy day of it, and I think it was just a decision going in that if, if that was the kind of game he was going to have, that was the kind of game he was going to have. Um, ultimately, you know, offensively, the Pardon-Benson experiment, I mean, they both had pretty good days shooting the ball. I mean, they didn't pour in a ton of points, but um, they were both very efficient from the floor. I mean, ultimately, I think McIntosh was kind of a barometer and he and Lindsay weren't shooting the ball very well. And that was kind of the difference. But again, it's it's weird to know, you know, you want to say, well, hey, you know, we've that the pardon Benson lineup certainly looks interesting, but um, we've said it before and, you know, we'll say it again. The influx of talent coming into the program next year is so extreme that it's hard to know exactly what kind of lineup we're going to be trotting out next year just because there are going to be so many guys who are going to be immediate impact players. So, But still, you never know. I mean, it's cool to know that we've, we've got that kind of option, I guess. I, I guess we should also talk about, uh, before we talk about the, the women's tournament, we should, we should talk about the... Uh, experience at Madison Square Garden um you know obviously Jim Delaney came out and said you know how rough of the you know shifting the Big Ten tournament up one week uh because of uh previous commitments at MSG um you know was previous commitments being the Big East basketball tournament exactly uh but you know having having that there having to shift up everything condensing the Big Ten schedule, um, you know, no bye weeks, uh, just some, you know, everyone played, had some stretches where they were playing three games a week. Uh, Delaney came out and said, like, we're not going to do that again. Um, I really missed this whole thing somehow. Um, 
I think maybe, maybe we talked about it at the beginning of the season last year. John, I know you mentioned it a couple weeks ago because we were kind of uh, disappointed that the women's tournament was just going to get completely glossed over uh, because they were happening happening simultaneously. And it wasn't until I, even, I think, earlier this week, after the Big Ten tournament had finished, that I put two and two together and realized how stupid of a decision this was. I mean, it, it basically set up the Big Ten's conference championship tournament as a preamble or an opening act to the Big East's uh, coronation at Madison Square Garden, where they've been forever. And to do that and have the impact it had on the season and to put it in, frankly, a city far outside of the of the centroid of the of the Big Ten footprint. um, It's just astronomically stupid for so many reasons. Like it, it did not the Big Ten used to be the, the conference that had, like, one of the last teams that got in. There were so many eyes on the championship game uh, leading into the selection show. And this is this is the polar opposite. The Big Ten's an afterthought now. I mean, like, I can't imagine ratings for the conference tournament were very good. It sounds like attendance was okay, but nothing well, I mean, impressive. They, they did sell out uh, the semis in the final for the first time in years. So, I don't know. Roger Sherman uh, posted some photos today that basically implied that attendance was uh, much less for the Big Ten final and and quarters uh, and semifinal than it was for the Big East. Really? Huh. I, I mean, just, maybe so, they sold out the tickets, but the, the the stadium certainly wasn't packed like it is it is in the in the later rounds of the Big East. I mean, I I certainly I mean, I I don't I don't quibble with the fact that there's a huge alumni base in New York City. I mean, obviously there is. I mean, the Pinstripe Bowl being a good example of you know Northwestern Northwestern's New York based alumni base really came out for that game. And I mean, obviously we're not the only ones. Um, and I get it. I get the whole TV dollars. I mean, it's not exactly a raw deal for the players. I mean, getting the chance to play in Madison Square Garden. The thing that's always bothered me so much about this, and it bothers me about it bothers me when it comes to football too. Um, but but there's a much more reasonable explanation for football, and that's weather. But my point is, Chicago is the center of the Big Ten, and anyone who tries to tell you otherwise is lying. Like I like that's the center. That's the focal point. It's the major Midwestern city. It's where everything should be. And yes, I know, like, technically that would give Northwestern some sort of advantage, but it's ah, like, give me a break. Give no, me a break. Wouldn't. Right? Right. I mean, and it's one thing, like, Soldier Field is a soldier flipping field. And what player doesn't want the chance to play there? But I get it. If you're talking about conference championship, you're talking about it being freezing, like, late in the year, I get it. But the United Center is also amazing and has loads of tradition and is close to huge alumni bases across the Big Ten. And I just like it's it's one of the hallmark venues of basketball and that you would just pass up that opportunity to go do it somewhere else. And as it is, you know, the conference already is doing their tournaments down in Indianapolis and playing, you know, and has and plays in this cavern in in uh the Luke where it, that's never going to get filled. And it's just like, I, it just never has made sense to me. It's like all roads should lead to Chicago. You won't have to worry about anyone selling out. I mean, the alumni bases for every big 10 school are so huge in the city. I mean, that's the big thing. Like I, I don't, it doesn't bother me. Like obviously the logistics part has to be worked out. It's stupid that this entire week 
when there have been, you know, so much hot, like, bubble talk and everything like that, that the Big Ten is just an afterthought and all of that because we already played our conference tournament. But again, mainly it just bothers me because one of the biggest cities in America is right here, and it's got great venues, and it's got huge alumni bases, and it's just like, like, just the simplest decision. It just makes sense, and I don't get why we're not doing it. I mean, so for football, I, I'm fine with football being in Indy. You know, that, that, that's a great, you know, Lucas Oil Stadium is a great football venue. It's inside. I get that. Yeah, it's kind of a departure from Big Ten football in December, but, you know, I, I, I get, you know, wanting to play in a, a controlled environment, except when the, the carpet comes ripping up. But in, uh, Indy's a good, it's a good um, event town, too. Yeah, no, they, they know how to throw, uh, throw events in Indy. It, it, everything is downtown, so... I, again, I, I, Chicago should be the home of the basketball. But if it does go down to Indy every now and again, I'm okay with that. But you know, last year in DC, this year in New York City, it doesn't like no one from Nebraska is going to New York to watch you know Nebraska basketball for the Big Ten tournament. They might come to Chicago. It, it it's a long it's a long drive it's a flight but uh it, it's you know under the the guise of uh possibility uh, well and they're already here i mean that's like the same thing i mean the the first northwestern game right i mean the first northwestern nebraska game after nebraska joined the big 10 i mean the nebraska alumni base in chicago is is huge you know well and that's i mean i think like the 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 whole big 10 is represented so well in chicago and i think you know, Indy is is very close, certainly to IU, Purdue, the Michigan schools, um, Ohio State. Like, it, it's it's pretty darn easy. I mean, even Chicago, right, and 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 University of Illinois. Like, it's pretty darn easy to get to Indy. Um, and for for football, for one game, you know, you're gonna you're always gonna get a crush of fans that show up there, and and it's gonna do pretty well. But there's something about basketball in Chicago and the history of it, the Jordan statue, um, you know, the fantastic sports town that Chicago is. I, you know, living in my, what, like fourth American city now, um, there are, there are few cities in this country where college affiliation at, at, at bars, um, is as prevalent as it is in Chicago. You just don't get that in other places. There's an atmosphere um, that is intrinsic to that city that I think the Big Ten has uh, neglected and uh, missed an opportunity to really to really foster and tie itself to. So I will say, um, you know, next year the tournament is back in Chicago. The year after is in Indy, and then uh, 2021 back in Chicago, 2022 in Indy. So. You know, for the next four years, it is alternating Chicago Indy, Chicago Indy. Um, I, I, I might add that um, NCAA hockey hosted uh, a a tournament in Chicago, a couple like an in season tournament in Chicago uh, that Notre Dame was the host of, and it was like dynamite uh, in terms of attendance and atmosphere, etc. Like, good good work, Big Ten. Thank good way to wake up. Oh, let's let's not go down that. Uh... That hockey road, college Just hockey. Just wait for right my now. final thought. Yeah, no, I I, I, I know you're going with that. I'm working myself up to a up, up to a fervor here. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll let that lather grow because I I have thoughts as well. Um, 
as, as far as the women go, uh, you know, they you know went down to Indy, beat Wisconsin in the opening round, and then uh, dropped it to Iowa, fifty-five forty-five, ending again a, a fairly disappointing season. Um, you know, twelve and twenty overall, four and twelve in conference. Uh, you know, we we talked about that a couple of weeks ago as well. You know, just you know playing in a high school gym for a season. And while it it sounds like, um, you know, I I know I didn't get make it out to any of games, but uh, from you know our, from listeners who've uh, commented in said that the uh, in stadium experience was good for the fans, but you know for all the players. It's a high school gym. And, you know, it, it just at the end of the day, it, it's going to be nice to get back to Welsh Ryan. Um, I, I saw one report that said that uh, uh, Phillips or Morty, I think, came out today and said that the idea was um, that both men and women would have an exhibition on November 2nd. Uh, and that would be the official reopening of uh, Welsh Ryan Arena. Um, so... I, I think if, if that's the case, I know women's volleyball plays most of their games prior to that. So women's volleyball would be a nomadic uh, again next year. But, um, yeah, that, that that was just you know, a little quip that came out today. I, you know, a, a lot still remains to be seen on that front. Yeah, it'll just be good for everyone to get back to normal. It would be good for the students. It will be good for the fan base. Um, can't Can't come too soon. So let's turn our attention to football. Uh, the spring practice is uh, underway. Um, I know I know they're a week in. They're probably going to have a few more practices next week before uh, cutting out for spring break, coming back to finish up uh, in early April, um, kind of like how they've been doing it the past several years, the split spring practice. As expected, there have been no reports coming out of that. We have no idea what's going on with the quarterback competition. Um, except that we know it is those three guys that we, we talked about. Uh, but I, I think the bigger news is, you know, like I mentioned earlier, Justin Jackson and Godwin Iguabike went down to the combine and uh, put on a little bit of a show. I mean, uh, my goodness. Yeah, JJ running a four, five, I guess officially a four, five, two, 40, which I, I, I mean, we did not expect that. Um, as far as, you know, we'd never really seen that kind of speed coming out of JJ before. And, you know, the fact that he was able to really lay one down and, and then, you know, did amazingly in a lot of the other drills, finishing uh, really high up uh, with the, the three cone, the 20 yard shuffle, the 60 yard shuffle. Um, you know, I, I think the maybe the only disappointment would have been his uh, bench press. I mean, he didn't throw down the Saquon Barkley twenty nine reps of two twenty five, but uh, what he had thir- twelve, thirteen, uh, thirteen reps. So you know that that isn't the end of the world, and you're not really looking for a ton of upper body strength from running backs. But uh, the fact that he's just showed out with all of the running drills is great news for JJ. It, it is great news. And I mean, like we should take a little bit of a step back and it, for anyone who, who listens to the NFL ringer show or, uh, or GM street, um, they, there's been a lot of conversation about kind of like the, the scene behind the scene at the combine and what GMs and, and coaches are, what's really most important to them. A lot of the number stuff is 
frankly, almost more about work ethic and did you prepare? Did you, you know, have you been working out? Is this, you know, outside of Al Davis, like huh. most teams don't make decisions based on your 40 time. Uh, and the most important components of the combine are the team interviews and the psychological evaluation and, and then the, um, the, uh, the Wonderlic test. But when a player kind of surprises with their athleticism, I think I think JJ probably put people on notice. I think there's going to be a lot of scouts uh, coming to NU's pro day, assuming that he will work out there as well. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm I, sure he will. Yeah, and I think I, I think I saw on Twitter a number of people noticed that he looked he looked pretty lean and mean out there. I would so I'm going to surmise a couple things. I'm going to surmise that JJ going into the NFL is probably targeting like a third down back type of role, especially with his, um, his pass catching ability. And if you think about the way a lot of, uh, NFL running back, uh, groups operate, um, being a little bit more, you know, running back by committee, I think JJ can anticipate touching the ball 10, 15 times a game, uh, you know, between targets on passes uh, and, and actual handoffs he probably doesn't need to carry as much weight as he did at NU when he was going to get the rock, you know, 30 to 40 times a game. Um, so I wonder if that's helped his speed a little bit. I know that, um, something we talked about coming out of his freshman and sophomore year was that he, you know, he just didn't have that home run speed. You would see him get tracked down from behind by safeties or, or linebackers sometimes. But as we got into his junior and senior year, it was pretty, it was, you could see it on the field that, uh, he had, he had done speed training. He'd worked on that component, um, of his athleticism and it had certainly made progress. So, uh, this is, this is great news. The the one other thing, and I'm not trying to throw cold water here, but the one other thing I will mention is that a lot of the other running backs that ran are very large individuals. I think Saquon measured in at like two thirty or something. Um, so some of the, you know, the, the, you know, he finished first in the cone drill first in the, um, uh, the 60 yard shuttle. So some of those things are, uh, aided a little bit by the, the group of one running backs that he's a part of, but, if you listen to Mike Lombardi talk, he puts way more stock on some of these agility drills and change of direction drills than he does on, on the 40 time. So that's spectacular news for JJ. I, I think a good comp, uh, like if you think to, you know, what JJ's role could be next year is look at uh, Corey Clement this year for the Eagles. Third down back, came in and caught a bunch of passes, um, you know, was a, a big contributor in the Super Bowl. And, you know, he was a third down back. And I think, you know, you think back to what Corey Clement did at Wisconsin. Uh, I, I feel like there's a lot of similarities to, to JJ's game there. And, you know, that that's the sort of thing he could uh, provide to an NFL team. For sure. And I think another part of it too, and Scuzz is right that, you know, Jackson certainly has worked on his speed and everything, but I think a lot of people, because a lot of times the very fastest guys in the NFL tend to be guys who run the fastest 40 times, a lot of times people forget that the 40 is testing you know, on acceleration as much as it's testing anything else, right? Um, I think all you need to look at is a guy like Leonard Fournette, who I don't think didn't put up one of the greatest 40 times in his combine, was had the fastest on-field speed timed during the season last season on an 80-yard touchdown run because he reached his top speed well after uh, 40 yards. And kind of on the flip side, Jackson is a guy who, you know, by the time he crossed the finish line at that 40, he was probably pretty much at his top speed. 
Um, and he, you know, in a in a straight line sprint or you know a breakaway play, he's going to get run down from behind. But what he is able to do is get to his top speed very carefully. Uh, I mean, very quickly. And that, you know, the same thing. I think he had like a crazy, like like a thirty-eight-five vertical leap or something like that. And the the awesome sixty-yard shuttle. He's really good at going from stationary to his top speed in a really really short amount of time. And when you combine that with his shiftiness, I think the bottom line is he's got the ability to catch a pass out of the backfield and then make someone miss and get a few extra yards. And there's a really clear role in the NFL that correlates that just like you guys were saying that third down back and I think that's the thing he's showing out in the combine as someone who could fill a specific role and I think that's what's really going to have a lot of value for him uh speaking of other you know we got we got to talk about Godwin here uh who really turned some heads um you know putting up a four 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 forty, uh finishing fifth amongst safeties 19 reps of the bench press, uh, ran a three-cone drill, tied for first in that, uh, finished second in the 20-yard shuttle, almost broke a combined record for uh, the 60-yard shuttle, uh, and looked pretty good in the broad jump in the vertical. Um, you know, several different, uh, you know, scouting services or, you know, people close to the, you know, scouting area had him ranked as one of the top uh performing safeties and i think that um spark as uh some sort of ranking service had him as the ninth best combine of anyone it's it's interesting trying to think about where godwin ends up in the nfl because he he's not your prototypical like tall rangy safety um but i also think that he and, and I don't have any stats to back this up. I'm just I'm basing it based on just observation. I feel like he demonstrated better coverage ability in college than Ibrahim Campbell did. Um, they're both dynamic run stoppers and tacklers uh, with you know with great athleticism. I, Godwin's probably got a got a step on on Campbell, but it'll be interesting to see how early he gets drafted. And I I don't. I don't think either JJ or Godwin are going to be a, a first or second day guy. I think they're probably looking at rounds four through seven. But I could see a scenario where both of them get drafted as high as as the fourth round, as opposed to um, where a lot of NU players have gone uh, towards the back of the you know the sixth or the seventh. So it'll be really really interesting to see how this plays out. I you know you have a lot of confidence that that both of these guys. Um, interviewed well they've got you know leadership aspects on their resume uh i you know you presume that they they did pretty well on the on the wonderlick so it'll just it'll just be interesting um something that that really jumped out to me there was a lot of comment on social on social media from current nu players and former nu players uh about like basically like they were all not surprised that these two guys did so well at the combine but there was some sort of inside knowledge. Marcus McShepard, uh, former quarterback. Well, I guess I guess he just graduated at cornerback uh, for NU. But he he made a comment like, "Is there any is there any surprise that these two guys finished tops in the uh, in the cone drill?" And it made me think that um, there's a subtle reference to some of Fitz's uh, training uh, mo's. But you know, who knows? Some some inside jokes that a lot of players found amusing and, and retweeted. 
Yeah, I think that was the kind of thing. I think it's the kind of it's the kind of thing too where like it's it's the lack of self awareness of a twenty two year old being like I'm gonna make a cryptic tweet about these two guys suddenly doing really well in a performance drill. And no one's going to think anything negative about it. And immediately it kind of raised a couple eyebrows. People, I think I was like, what is Mick Shepard saying? Because it sort of looks like he's saying that there's some weird reason these two guys suddenly got good at this particular drill. But if you read it and you look at a couple of the player actions, it's clearly some inside joke that the players have that, right, there's, whether it's a Fitz thing or it's something else, but clearly even, I think Ian Park even rang in from afar uh, and gave his two cents on it or something. But um, yeah, it was, it was funny. One of the the interesting thing to me about Godwin relative to the draft is, I mean, obviously we've talked draft you know for years now um, on this pod, and we've been guilty of over overestimating the time at which Northwestern guys will get drafted. Um, but with that said, Godwin is a really interesting case because I think we all thought he's a great athlete for the position of safety. Like, of all the safeties who were available in this draft, he's one of the better athletes. And we thought he had a chance to kind of put a stamp on that at the Combine, and then he did. So the thing is, he's a guy who was great. He was a great producer at a top level in college football. But independent of all that, he's just a great athlete who looks great in his underwear, you know, Combine-wise, and tests really well. And I think... For him, the question is going to be, I think there are only four or five safeties who, when you add all these things together, are, you know, legitimately going to be thought of as as higher grade. And it's, I think, when he goes just depends on whether or not there's a run on safeties early. And he's one of those guys that if there is one of those runs where suddenly four or five guys go off the board quick, he could really jump up in terms of how high he's drafted. Definitely looking forward to uh, you know getting some uh, more numbers out of the pro day. I, I would imagine Northwestern's pro day will probably be in the back half of spring ball. That, that's kind of how they, they've tended to do it, right? I haven't seen if uh, if they've announced when our pro day is, but... Um, we'll we'll keep our eyes open for that. Uh, the good the good thing about the pro day, right, is now that Godwin and Justin have both had such great combines, they can both just sit back on their haunches and let Tyler Lancaster take the reins at pro day. Yeah, that that's going to be fun. I can't wait to see uh, what kind of numbers he throws up on the bench press. That that'll, tr- all, that'll turn some heads, all right? Of the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we got some recruiting news. Um, this, as far as some a uh, couple prospects uh, coming in, John, you want to tell us about? Yeah, a couple interesting ones, just in terms of guys who. Um, well, there's there's one clear big front runner from a news department, and that is uh, a guy named Adam Berghorst out of Michigan. Um, is a guy a defensive end? He's defensive end who looks like a tight end. And a lean tight end. He's about 6'7", 245. I mean, the kid looks like a basketball player. And, I mean, you look at the frame and you're like, holy moly, the potential weight this guy could put on. Very highly rated. Um, Rivals has him a whisker under four stars. They have him five rated 5.7. The cutoff is 5.8. 
And his final four schools are Northwestern, Michigan, Michigan State, and Notre Dame. Um, and again, those are all heavy hitters, obviously. But for anyone who's you know regular pod listener and has followed the pieces we've put up on the site, you know from the big recruiting piece we put up a while back that a major positive indicator uh, of a future Northwestern player is a kid who goes to a Midwest public school but also holds a Notre Dame offer and that is Adam Berghorst um, and one of his fi- and you know both us and Notre Dame are in his final four schools so again you're still talking about prying a kid from Michigan away from Michigan and Michigan State offers and also a Notre Dame offer but with that said this kid is a really highly rated player with a potential I mean you look at this kid and you're like this kid three years from now could be a six seven 280 pound monster um, but we shall see. Um, he's he is certainly the big one. He says he's going to make his decision very soon. So you know we'll cross our fingers for good news. In the more pipe dream category, um, there's been some chatter lately because Austin Jones, who is a running back from California, made some comments that he is uh, north. You know he holds a Northwestern offer, and he's very interested in the fact you looking at the numbers that Justin Jackson put up and that you know he could potentially duplicate those numbers or that you know he sees him you know similar potential for himself um a couple major caveats here this kid is an absolute stud on the recruiting trail he's a four-star recruit but he still currently rivals number three running back in the nation in the class of 2019 he lives in California he attends a Catholic high school and he holds Stanford and Notre Dame offers. To re to bring us back to the aforementioned recruiting piece we put up, we have never, capital N-E-V-E-R, pulled a kid out of California who also had a Notre Dame or Stanford offer and who did not go to one of those two schools. And when you factor in that the kid goes to a Catholic high school, I mean, it's almost unheard of i mean it is unheard of and it's almost impossible but you never know i mean miracles do happen so um those are the pig those are the two big recruiting stories right now but the big one to circle is this adam berghorst decision i mean we're what three four years in a row where every year right now we've pulled in at least one marquee defensive end recruit and uh, he would immediately become that guy in the 2019 class I'm going to go all message boards on you guys. Uh, Austin Jones in his rivals picture is wearing purple. Um, (laughs) And he's kind of got the same hairstyle as Justin Jackson. I take it all back. He's in. In. (laughs) Uh, We can dream. I mean, this kid is, he may be a five-star recruit by this time next year. I mean, so. I mean, we would all die and go to heaven if this kid signed on the line, which is dotted for Northwestern. But uh, don't get your hopes up. Uh, quick update on the women's lacrosse team. Um, believe when last we spoke, uh, we were looking at uh, going into the weekend to play number six USC, who uh, we beat nine to five, and uh, then just a couple days ago. Uh, the number one ranked Stony Brook uh, squad came in and uh, and beat us fifteen to ten. Um, so that, that that's sort of the the meat of the that that kind of gauntlet of a schedule we were talking about 
with Colorado, USC, Stony Brook, and now Duke is ranked. Um, so, you know, a one-point loss on the road to number 19-ranked Duke, five-point loss at home to the number one-ranked Stony Brook team, and, uh, you know, a, a win against number six USC. So, uh, you know, th- things are looking pretty good for the Cats so far. Um, so just some interesting call-outs from that Stony Brook, Brook game. Um so that Stony Brook team is ranked number one now, and uh, they held Selena Lasota to zero goals, which is uh, no mean task. At the same time, the Cats were um, one errant shot away from pulling within a goal with maybe four minutes to play. They had a shot. Uh, they had they had momentum. They had been um, they had been kind of storming back into the game. I think they had had four straight uh, four straight scores. So there, I mean, there was a recipe for an upset brewing, and they just they couldn't they couldn't quite pull it off, and, and Stony Brook was able to uh, to get out of there with a with a, a very you know a, a relatively comfortable win. But um, don't none of us should look at that score line and think, oh, this mean you know any second tier they can't hang because they were hanging. Uh, obviously, you know, we hope that they get another shot at Stony Brook or or a similarly high ranked team. Uh, towards the end of the season, so we'll have to just see how how things progress and see what they look like at that stage. Uh, you would imagine that there'd be you know uh, a strong effort from the coaching staff to find ways to to spring Lasota and and allow her to get on the scoreboard uh, in that type of matchup down the road. Yeah, you know, for me, so far, I really like what I've seen. I mean, again, I think Northwestern Lacrosse is always colored by these memories of these perfect seasons of years gone by. But in the current climate, as things currently stand, this looks like a really strong team. Um, I mean, you're talking four, we've played four ranked teams so far as ranked as high as number six. I mean, ranked as high as number one, but a win over number six USC. Um, And we're, you know, a one goal loss on the road to a ranked Duke team from, you know, are to, from being undefeated except for a close loss, as Scuzz just outlined, to the number one team in the country. So when you combine that with, you know, this huge home slate we're looking at right now against a bunch of teams who, you know, in theory are not as highly, you know, are not as talented as the teams that we've dealt with so far, um, you know, you could see this team putting on a real run. I mean, the Cats are currently ranked 12th. And, um, you know, again, I feel like this is the best team we've had in a couple of years. We're already through, really, a real gauntlet um, and have done pretty well. And, again, I, I think there's there's a real run in this team. I think this team's about to throw up a bunch of wins. Um, and uh, I think already it's, – it's so hilarious how this works, but already I think two months out, we're already, like, staring at that Maryland game at the end of the season. Um, but I think – I think there's a really good chance the Cats are going to arrive there with a lot of momentum. So, yeah, I mean, definitely you know, looking forward to con- continuing to watch the, the lacrosse team. we got a game against Marquette uh, coming up in, on Friday, uh, then a week off before we see North Carolina, then Michigan and Syracuse uh, before we go out to uh, go out east to take on Johns Hopkins and Penn. Um keep our eyes on all of that, see how the, the season progresses. I think that's just about it uh, for this week as far as news and notes go. Uh, so let us continue our search for the Swoley Grail. Hey. 
as I am off want to do in my final thought, I'm angry about something. And this time my ire is directed at the Chicago Blackhawks. And particularly at Blackhawks chairman Rocky Wirtz, who as we have discussed on this program before, is a Northwestern graduate. And somehow, he allowed the talented executives in his franchise to partner with the NHL in funding a hockey feasibility study at the goddamn University of Illinois. What the hell is happening, people? Um, This feasibility study basically outlined that there's something like 89 uh, current Illinois kids that are playing Division I college hockey and that there are zero D1 programs in the state of Illinois, uh, that when you look at you know, all the one-time equipment costs, et cetera. And the University of Illinois could expect to, um, you know, partner with a, a company like Bauer uh, to really, you know, keep those costs under a couple hundred thousand dollars. The big question, of course, becomes the the stadium. Uh, Penn State spent something like $90 million building out their arena, but uh, there's been much, much more reasonable, like $25 million stadiums built uh, in, in other places in, in recent years. And they really, you know, outlined a path for, for the University of Illinois to become a D1 hockey program. And it just makes me sick uh, because we just blew up Welsh Ryan Arena. We could have put in some friggin' cold coils. Um, and I want to know where Rocky's been. You've been asleep at the wheel, buddy. What is going on? Yeah, that's that's just rough. Um, I, I guess my, my only thought would be you know, Welsh Ryan might be too big for college hockey, but uh, what about the new Ryan Fieldhouse? Seats about three thousand. <laughs> that that would be perfect. You know, it's, as far as size goes. I mean, I will begrudgingly admit that the prospect of D one NU hockey is pretty far fetched. Um, in that we can't fill the football or basketball stadiums right now. Maybe basketball will come around. Um, a 3000 seat hockey arena seems like a pretty cool idea. I, you know, it, it would be a, it would not be a, a, a revenue generator certainly in the, in the early years, but you do think about, you know, the North shore in Chicago is a hotbed of, uh, high school hockey now. Yeah. It is really blown up. For obvious reasons, the Blackhawks have have generated a ton of interest to the game in the Chicagoland area, and you would think that Northwestern could really benefit from that, both from a uh, recruiting standpoint and from a um, community exposure support standpoint. But, I mean, we, you know, even with, you know, a a team vying for an NCAA, you know, bid last year, there were games in, in the back half, you know, the last month of the season even that weren't sold out, so... I appreciate that that's maybe a maybe a far cry. Um the hockey fan in me is is just, you know, beside myself yeah, that, that, that that this could be happening with our bloody rival in Champagne like Champagne for real. Um but I also know a lot of uh of U of I people that have, you know, have gone gaga over the Blackhawks as well. So I'm sure that they could benefit from from similar similar phenomena. Yeah, except the the state is bankrupt and you know and, <laughs> and anything being funded at the university would have to come from the state somehow unless it's completely privately funded uh whereas northwestern 
doesn't necessarily get nearly as much in the way of, of state money and um, you know has I, I'd say a little more fundraising oomph uh, possibly for and maybe a little more fundraising uh, desire taste for for some hockey. This is a hill that I, I know I'm gonna die on uh, and I would be happy to. Uh, down the hill for Northwestern College Hockey. You know, we've been I, talking about that for a long time. I just don't know how a year from now the University of Illinois is going to pay Levy Smith's buyout and start a hockey team in the same year. It doesn't really make much financial sense to me. The thing is it would come from a different pot of money, and they might tap into alumni like, I don't know, Bill Murray or some of, you know, Butkus or some of the um, some of the, the famous alumni that have come out of there. Um, I don't know, like, like, I, I, I think it's plausible that they could explore this, especially since the Big Ten Hockey Conference exists. Um, they would have, you know, immediate, you know, it wouldn't be a arduous travel schedule. It'd be the sort of thing. I, I think Illinois already has a pretty decent, um, is it a D2, D2 squad or D3 squad? Club, I can't quite remember. Like club hockey? Is it? Is it only club hockey? I thought they were higher level than that. I could be wrong. Um, but I don't know. It's the sort of thing, like, there's enough friggin' Illinois people that, you know, have propagated all over that state. And with the with the interest in the Blackhawks and in hockey in general, I think I think they could they could get together a pretty solid wave of support um, to get something off the ground. Much to my chagrin. <laughs> For my final thought, um, I'll kind of go into the world of sports journalism. And earlier this week, I read really one of my favorite pieces that I've read in a long, long time. Um, and it was Robert Klemko wrote a piece for SportsIllustrated.com about the NFL Combine, and specifically about Lamar Jackson. Um, and it was framed in a way that it's so hard to write an article this way um, and it's it's very rare that a journalist can pull it off but he basically wrote an entire article um, about a topic without addressing the topic even indirectly at any point in the in the article uh, and just letting the unsaid just kind of hang in the air and it was so good and basically the whole article is framed from the perspective of like the NFL has been so dumb wasting the talents of so many college quarterbacks who could be playing other positions and basically throwing out all these examples and being like, oh, I'm trying to think, like like Tim Tebow was one, um, but I'm, oh, I'm trying to think. There were a couple guys, like I think Chad Kelly being one, coming out of college and being like, look at this guy. He was like 6'4", 225, put up like a 4'6", This guy had NFL tight end written all over him. And instead, the NFL did such a disservice to him. Not one person at the Combine came to him uh, and was like, hey, you should consider playing tight end. So instead, he stayed at quarterback and didn't get drafted, et cetera, et cetera. And throughout a couple, I think Connor Cook was one and been like, look, Connor Cook put up like a four five two forty, and not one person was like, hey, maybe you should consider playing wide receiver. So he stayed at quarterback and like almost didn't make it in the NFL. 
it's such a good thing this year that finally the NFL is approaching a guy like Lamar Jackson and with his similar athleticism and being like, hey, you should consider playing wide receiver. And of course, the whole unspoken thing is everyone knows that follows that like the reason Lamar Jackson got asked this question and everyone else didn't is because Lamar Jackson's black and the other guys weren't. And it was such an awesome way to address the elephant in the room without ever addressing the elephant in the room. Um, and it's so hard to write a piece like that. And I was just like, I encourage anyone who hasn't read it to go to go online to Sports Illustrated and just read it. It is, it's an awesome, awesomely written article. It's an amazing exercise in uh, in um, the beauty of omission. So anyway, I encourage everyone to go and check out that. See a great example of journalism. John, our friend, uh, our friend Gary Seegers had some takes on that situation <laughs> as well, and it was. <laughs> in a different direction um to his credit he had he had a good point about you know the odds of a long career in the nfl are bolstered by you know being willing to to try out other positions um there's a really interesting article i found uh shannon sharp talking similarly about tim tebow uh, after his first year in the nfl when the when the broncos signed peyton manning um so there's some interesting stuff there but uh, I think it was SB Nation had an article where they went through all of the QBs that have transitioned um, to wide receiver or to other positions over the last however many years, like the 25 top QBs that have done that, and basically showed why not a single one is nearly as talented as Lamar Jackson, and that either A, all of them had played wide receiver at some point in college, or the transition in the L- in the NFL took you know, five or six years, and they were predominantly considered a QB before that. Um, See Terrell Pryor. Example, yeah, and, and like another great example is Brad Banks, who um, coming out of Iowa was drafted by the Jets, or maybe just signed by the Jets, and they, uh, Mangini was talking about him early on, like, oh yeah, we think we're going to try him out at wide receiver, and he practiced with wide receiver in camp and those sorts of things, and then the preseason started, and they immediately started him as a QB in the preseason, so... Um, there's a lot of gamesmanship here, but yeah, I, I generally align with you, John, that like, this is teams that are asking that are, are, are stupid. Um, at the same time, you have teams asking Darius Geis if, you know, about his sexuality and crap like that, just to get a rise out of guys. So who knows if this is part of the psychological evaluation, um, if they, if they really actually want him to, to work yeah. out as a wide yeah, out based, or if it's, or if it's just bullshit that the NFL does in the yeah, draft based, process. Based on the guys thing, I have, you don't have to work too hard to convince me that, that, uh, like three or four NFL teams asked Lamar Jackson if he wanted to play uh, receiver because three or four NFL teams representatives are flipping idiots. Uh, you don't have to talk to me like to, to put it mildly. Obviously, there are just a lot of dumbasses at the combine. Well, and I, 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 I almost feel bad these players have to deal with these guys. So I actually do want to talk about the, that guy's situation. I, I, I didn't think I was going to go there, but um, some of those like the the question about you know does he like it, does he like guys? That was outlawed. Like that's illegal. Yep. <laughs> yep. And and to the NFL's um mild credit, they came out very strongly today and said like that's totally inappropriate. Um whether they're going to pursue whomever that was and do anything about it is another question, but uh at least they had a swift and um uh unequivocal reaction. 
Yeah, that that's absolutely ridiculous. And like, just just that whole, you know, that I, that probably goes into the whole like, you know, you're trying to exert control, and you know, the whole like talk about Josh Rosen is he, you know, is his head really into playing football because you know he's he came from wealth. And, you know, he's interested in humanitarian uh, efforts. And, you know, basically, he's got a mind of his own. So, you know, watch out for that. You know, he might not fall in line completely. It's, I I just, it's weird. That, that That whole, like, interviewing and, you know, trying to get a rise out of these kids and, you know, putting them in pressure situations or this whole Rosen, it's just really off putting. Hey, you know who has to operate in high-pressure situations? Anyone in an even quasi-executive role in a major company in the U.S.? They don't get asked that shit. It's just, it's, it's just like the, it, all this stuff just makes the NFL look so bad. And it happens again and again. And it's just like, like, there are so many things baked into the guy's situation, right? Where it's like, I mean, first of all, like, the pig-headedness to ask about someone's sexuality to begin with. And then you fold into it, like, the idea of, like, oh, this will target his manhood, so I'll see if I can get a rise out of him, and in doing so, somehow gain some evaluation of him as a potential player. And it's just like, like, what? Like, it's, it, it, I don't know, I'm, I'm just... And I mean, yes, like Scott said, the NFL took, like, made comments about it, but I mean, like, like in 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 the aforementioned fields that you just described, Scuzz, that's a fireable offense. Like, whoever does that, they're going to be like, you ask someone whether or not they were gay in a job interview, yeah, you're fired. Not like, just fired, you're going to get your ass sued. Right. I'm just like, I just, I don't know. It's oh, uh, just one. Like, we needed one more reminder of the NFL as it currently stands. Uh, so for my final thought, we'll you know end this on a, a more uplifting note. Um, you know, bring, I'm angry. I'm, well, sure, and there's plenty <laughs> to be angry about. Uh, women's tennis is not one of those things. Um, you know, Northwestern sitting at ranked number eight in the country uh, takes on number five Georgia Tech this weekend in Evanston. So uh, you know, women's tennis has been on a roll. Uh, five won five in a row. You know, beating three ranked teams in that stretch, a um, couple back-to-back wins over top ten opponents. So uh, this will be a great test, and uh, you know the tennis team has been playing really, really well. Georgia Tech comes in nine and one you know, on a five-game winning streak of their own. Uh, so that that should, that should be a a tough matchup. Um, but you know, if if the weather is nice, I'd say head out to Evanston and watch some women's tennis because. Yeah, you know, this is this is a very solid team that kind of has been flying under the radar. And go, with, go tennis, go. <laughs> and I without, don't know the appropriate cheer. Yeah, I, I don't know either. It, it, it's all good. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Head to our website, westlotpirates.com, to leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Pirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email us, westlotpirates at gmail.com. 
Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the West Lot Ryan Field playing the Red Pirate Flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John the Comb and Eric Scousboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.